You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Nick Douglas has worked at Valleywag. He is the author and editor of Twitter Wit. Thank you for joining me, Nick. Thank you. Nick, this is a fascinating book, but let's ratchet back a bit. For those who might not know, what is Twitter? How does it work? And what are its limitations? Well, Twitter is like a way to blog in just 140 characters or less uh, each time. It's kind of like sending a text message out to a group of people you've pre-selected. A lot of people use it just to say what they're doing at any given time. A lot of people use it to quote other people the things they overhear. And uh, the favorite people that I like to follow are the ones who use it to tell jokes. Now, um, at 140 characters, I'm wondering, what is the average length and character-wise of a haiku? Do you know off the top of your head? Well, I know that obviously the haiku is at the 575, which gives a little variety in I've seen, actually, there are a few people who their accounts are haikus because they they make a haiku every time because it's so perfect for little formats like that. I would imagine so. So this is a way for people to instantly reach a a, a large audience with a a small amount of information. Now, uh, give us some idea as to the volume of of Twitter. How many tweets are happening at any given minute, hour, day? Well, it's rising... Constantly. Uh, Actually, a lot since I initially started editing this book. Um, Mm -hmm. Now there are, I think, about 20 million people logging in every month, and they're on average uh, messaging a a few times a day, a couple of times a day. So you've got uh, actually several million tweets going out every day. Uh, If you ever turn on on the Twitter homepage and look at the public feed, it's no longer a feed of everything that is being done publicly. It was like that way back, but now obviously that would just be way too much to even, even process. And so it's just this tiny little sampling and you'll still see this vast variety of how people are using it. People who use it in, in ways I would I would never imagine. I have a friend who, he was mystified when he found that a lot of people were uh, seeing what was up showing up on the trending topics using whatever tag that was, uh, say, on the trending topics, which displays on most people's profile pages that shows you what a lot of other people have been tweeting about. It might have something that says, uh, mash up movie titles. And people would be mashing up two movie titles together, you know, like uh, Rogan, Logan's uh, Running with the Wolves or, uh, you know, other other combinations uh, like that. And uh, three men, and of course I can't think of any any uh, uh, good ones now that I'm now that I'm trying to think about it. Um, uh, deconstructing Harry and the Hendersons, things like that. You can imagine these little uh, uh, jokes and these combinations. Anyway, that's one people one way people are using it. Other ways uh, people use it are just to constantly uh, update news uh, in their area. Obviously, CNN has their own uh, feed and everything like that. Um, so it is boggling how much stuff is just going on all at once. In blogging or other sites, even like Flickr, you sort of get a feeling that everyone's different page is closed off from everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, even mm-hmm. if you're going around WordPress, you look at one WordPress at a time. Right. On Twitter, you're just looking at this vast feed all at once. And uh, I like that feeling of overwhelmingness. It, it, it's like looking at the ocean instead of rivers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, all at once. 
Now, uh, tell us a little bit about your time at Valley Wag. Are, are you still there? No, I, I did about a year at Valley Wag in 2006. Mm-hmm. Pretty fun time. Things were ramping up again, um, and it was before, obviously, uh, the economy brought everything back a little, and so it was fun. Business magazines were just starting to try to to write the same sort of stories they'd done uh, back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there was one cover of Business Week where Kevin Rose, founder of Dig, uh, which is a great company, um, but has not as yet. It's 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 made ad deals, mm-hmm. but Business Week chose a valuation of the company that set it at X millions of dollars. I, I think something like three hundred million dollars or something, and showed Kevin Rose on the cover putting his thumbs up and said how this kid made one hundred sixty million dollars in eight months. He didn't have one hundred sixty million dollars. Oh no, I think it was. I'm sorry. The company was one hundred sixty. He was only forty million, and yet still a little, uh, little out there um, as as a guess. And so. My job was to, to go and, and pop all these bubbles to say, this is l- ridiculous. Here's how they did this fake math. And here are five other cover stories Business Week has done that were completely dead wrong. It's actually really fun to go back and look at Business Week cover stories because they're like anyone. They, they have to make these predictions based on so much less information than someone would make a, an actual uh, investment choice based on. And yet, I do remember my dad reading Wired years ago and thinking, well, I'm going to invest in this company because Wired says they're going to go far. And then going to Valley Wag, seeing how these articles get written and thinking, oh, man, I, I really hope no one out there is uh, is relying on these magazines as their only choice of investment. I would, I would caution against that. So here you are working at Valley Wag. What makes you decide to dig through Twitter? I mean, this is an incredible task to set yourself. How did you go about making this decision in the first place? Well, I was covering uh, all sorts of different interesting-looking startups and signing up for all of them, and I usually got into a pattern of signing up for something, loving it for about two months, thinking, this is what we're all going to use. All my friends would sign up because I know a bunch of other people who work for startups and they work for uh, companies where they want to try out every Web 2.0 uh, thing that they can. We, mm-hmm. you know, I have acquaintances with all, a lot of the people who invent these things. So I tried Twitter thinking, well, this is great. We're all going to think that it's the future for a couple of months, and then we're going to get rid of it. I remember my first tweet is probably a month away from my second tweet. That, that I went on, I tried it like a lot of people did. You know, I tried and said, yeah, that's, that's weird. And then later, of course, it catches on, and I, and I start realizing, oh, this is, this is actually pretty fantastic. And I started noticing that some people had tweets that I really liked, and I'm used to, on all these different sites, Flickr, YouTube, you can always just rate things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a little way to give a little uh, appreciation or, I don't know, something ticks in the brain. It's now almost a Pavlovian thing for me. I've been out eating sushi and thought, oh, where's the button to hit that I like <laughs> this sushi? I couldn't just sit and enjoy food anymore. So out of this impulse, I was hitting the little star that you can hit next to each tweet. And what I ended up with after a couple of years was a saved list of all my favorite tweets, which were mostly jokes. And so I I decided it would be really good to put these into a book. And uh, happily, uh, people agreed. Now, this is a very interesting format. At 140 characters, there's not much you can do. These have got to be pretty much one-liners, don't they? Right. Uh, Some people actually make an impressive effort to 
craft several sentence jokes and, and cram it all in without it seeming like it's crammed, mm-hmm. it's very important not to try uh, little shortcuts and things. Those distract from the joke. They're mm-hmm. fine if you're trying to get the most information across, but not if you're trying to get an effect across of, of good comedic timing mm-hmm. uh, demands that you actually spell out your R's and your U's. And apart from a few people who have very much, very well managed, uh, actually, uh, Russell Brand, the comedian, goes by the username Rusty Rockets on Twitter. And he's made these great little three-sentence stories about uh, being in his hotel room and deciding to become a superhero based on anything he can find and deciding that he is Captain Shower Curtain. Except sometime, somehow he got the whole story in 140 characters. Most people, I would advise, stick to one line. And don't try to use up all the space. Some of the funniest things I've seen are just five or six words. Well, can you read me a couple of examples? Yes. Uh, let me flip through. I have a... Oh, here we go. Frog is the user. And they write, No, ma'am, wireless G isn't a rapper. Very, very short message. Oh, Sheebs says, Oh, my God, I'm a townie. And Miss RFTC says, Great, there's a hole in my unicorn. And each of these, under eight words, very simple. Granted, some people have uh, much longer much longer messages. Uh, Jay Dickerson, who is uh, one of the writers at Slate, says, Obama was able to shower and dress after his workout in 18 minutes. His press conference was 24 minutes. May make 15-minute brownies in 12. <laughs> now, uh, talk about um, the just the one of the things I think that makes this such a powerful medium is that limitation. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that we, that we, is hard to realize about art, that art is really generated by what you can't do, not what you can. Completely. Uh, I, feel, I feel bad that I've described uh, tweets as being like sonnets and haiku and other you know, great poetry forms that have been uh, used by great masters, I'm, I'm less and less uh, guilty about comparing them. I think there are some people who are becoming masters of squeezing uh, a lot of information, a lot of point into a very simple uh, aphorism. And we're seeing, uh, I think, hopefully a, re- a return of the culture of wit that was around Dorothy Parker and other uh, people, Groucho Marx, who were known as much for little one-line things that they may drop into a review, a story, a poem. People don't even remember now a lot of where the sources specifically come from. They just remember that Dorothy Parker said, this is not a book to be tossed aside lightly. It is to be thrown with great force. A line like that outlasts whatever it is inside. And what I like about Twitter is you're able to just get that one line. Uh, not all of us could come up with the full uh, compendium of short stories and poems that Dorothy Parker could, but we can come up with one really good one-liner. I think it really shows that really fantastic A-list jokes don't only have to come from a select group of people who are good professional writers. Normal people, uh, some of the people in this book are cashiers, uh, college students, homemakers, and they can all be as funny for one sentence as Shakespeare or Dorothy Parker. Now, uh, when you're collecting these, uh, talk about, you talked about just, you know, hitting the the favorite button. Still, that's got to be more than 
probably can fit into at least the, uh, this book. Uh, talk about finding these two, and also, I mean, how do you find these by the uh, something by a cashier? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different ways that these different comedians on Twitter are grouping together, uh, comedians and amateur comedians. Now, a lot of users I've found um, have one or two funny things they've said, and a lot of their other tweets are mostly just meant for their friends and not really for uh, an audience at large. And I had a lot of them uh, submit tweets to a site called twitterwit.net that I had set up. Mm-hmm. And that put, put tweets into a database. And I was also, for this, and in future volumes, I hope to do a lot of that submission-based uh, work because it helps me find a lot more people that I couldn't find on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is very intensive to go through people's feeds and find something that would be really broadly appealing. And because part of the joy of Twitter is that you're choosing who to listen to. You're mostly interested in your friends uh, to a level that you wouldn't be in, in uh, most other strangers. Anyway, uh, the other way that a lot of the tweets made into this book is I was following a few funny people way back in the beginning. They started linking to with the um, Twitter feature where you can put at and then someone else's username uh, to link to their uh, feed to point out other funny people who deserved more followers. And eventually a few other sites rose up. There's a site called favored, F-A-V-R-D.com, and another called Favestar, F-A-V-S-T-A-R. Those track when you hit the little star next to a tweet. Those aggregate which tweets that day have gotten the most stars, and so basically you're getting a best of that day. It's really fun when there's some big news story going on. Uh, The Kanye story, obviously, throughout the entire U.S. election, it was great. Every time there was a big news day, especially during the debates, I... I had only you know one eye on the TV, the other on my phone, watching just the steady stream of commentary. It was um, obviously the Daily Show is a, is a, an amazing accomplishment of political commentary. But what they're able to do with a few people, you put several million people on the task, and you might end up with something just about as funny. Um, it was it was just really great stuff, and. So through using a lot of these sites, through seeing what other people were uh, interested in, what other people were starring, uh, going through a lot of celebrities uh, updates, a lot of professional comedians and writers have um, gotten in. Uh, I was excited at the very beginning when I would find any one writer who happened to be on Twitter, whether I particularly liked them or not, or an actor. I was just glad that anyone kind of famous was on my little site, my little geek site, as it started out. And now... Of course, it's, it's just become normal to expect that comedians will be putting good material. Sarah Silverman, amazing at putting good jokes on her Twitter feed. Aziz Ansari, um, both of them are, are in the book, and both of them, uh, Peter Serafinowicz uh, from Britain and Stephen Fry, uh, they've, they've made it a habit to, uh, quote-unquote, waste their material. Uh, of course, in comedy, they know that you can use the same material over and over. You're switching different audiences. You're refining the material. It's one of the best things that could happen to them is to get this little uh, specific audience on Twitter. Oh, I say little, but uh, big in some cases. Stephen uh, uh, Fry has, I think, a couple of million going on, maybe three million, uh, four million now. I don't know. Congratulations. It couldn't happen to a smarter, better exactly, guy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Definitely deserves it. And he, uh, you know, he uses good jokes on there. And then he knows he can go and use those in front of a TV audience. Uh, The great thing is realizing that there's no such thing as wasting a joke. You're just starting a joke that you may develop into something greater uh, later. I have a a friend who 
has written a whole short story because some friend tweeted out that she misread a sign as saying 24-hour bookshop instead of 24-hour book drop. And so he wrote this whole science fiction story about a mysterious 24-hour bookshop and the strange people who go and shop there at night. So one of the favorite things uh, of Twitter is if you have an idea that you think is too big for Twitter, uh, you can just start it. The start that seed of the idea on Twitter and see what you or someone else may develop out of it. Well, that's a fascinating thought too, because it's Twitter then becomes like the the tip of an iceberg, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Every little uh, update becomes an inspiration for some whole grand universe. One of my favorite users is Fireland, and he's his name is Joshua Allen. He writes for the Morning News uh, and a couple of other uh, comedy websites, and he is great at telling a whole elaborate story. Something like, I, I'm not. I'm going to have to paraphrase slightly, but he has one tweet that was said, uh, went along the lines of, your baby didn't enjoy my joke and he crawled off somewhere. What? I don't know. Maybe my feelings got run over. And the little implication of this whole character he's built up who is so self-obsessed that he doesn't care if a baby has wandered off into traffic um, seems like there could be so much more done with it. And I think at some point he, he, he might go and do it. He's written great essays. He's written an essay on why songs have to specifically be two minutes and I think 40 seconds long mm-hmm. and why one second longer is too long and one second shorter is not long enough for you to jam. And uh, he presents it as being very important and needing to be very efficient. So I'm hoping that a lot of a lot of the people in this book get inspired to write more and longer things. Another user that I love, Avery Edison, uh, whose username is A. Edison. She is studying comedy at school in England, um, a young uh, a student who is now able to get in front of an audience that she couldn't just by doing stand-up or other ways that you could try to practice a routine in front of maybe 10 people who come to an open mic. Uh, instead, she can get uh, hundreds of people, thousands of people to read her, her tweets and then uh, get them to go to her blog. It was a great way to, um, some people talk about driving traffic from Twitter to a blog and that makes me feel icky only when it's people who they're driving traffic to something boring. But Avery here is, uh, and a lot of these other comedians, they write these great little one-liners, and then they're like, by the way, I have you know this thousand-word essay. Uh, Avery has done a whole series on Jesus and Judas arguing, where it turns out that Jesus is just a jerk. He's, uh, it's not nice. And... Uh, and Judas gets more and more aggravated, and uh, she gets, you know, illusions where Jesus is saying, by the way, where did that 30 uh, shekels that, uh, that I left in the, in the money purse go? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know where those went. Um, so, so she has this whole little uh, special routine built up online uh, that wouldn't have gotten as much attention if she weren't crafting such great one-liners uh, for this audience. You know, it strikes me, too, that the people who are writing this stuff, they aren't just writing it pen to paper. They aren't just sitting down at the computer all the time. I mean, the some of these people are trying to type this stuff in on a phone with mm-hmm. only nine keys. It's not optimal. Talk about how the method of entry affects the content. It probably does well to encourage the short form. It, it's a good thing that it's hard to type because then you have to think about what you're writing before you write it. It's actually great if, if everyone had to uh, type out everything on T9, then uh, maybe we'd, we'd get a little less uh, crap uh, written in the world. If Dan Brown, uh, say, had had to had, had to type out his entire novel um, 
on a phone, it may have been a little bit shorter. <laughs> I imagine so. One of the things that strikes me here too is there's a lot of funny stuff on here, but you know, it's not always going to stay that way. I think that that we'll see a lot more serious stuff. And could you talk about some of the evolutions and the trends you've seen from the beginning when people were probably just saying, I'm going to the store, you want anything, to, you know, something where my favorite was the Roomba worst case scenario. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there, there are some people who quote famous people often on, on Twitter, and of course the people who are doing news updates are, are really good. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other examples of, of really using the short form for a little more than uh, the simplest of status updates. Um, I, I've liked live tweet commentary. Uh, mm -hmm. That's been, it's something that it is unique. Uh, and there are a lot of technologies that come out. Twitter, for example, in one way, you could say, you could argue that these jokes are just short form versions of uh, blog posts. But then there are things that would not be possible without the technology. This live tweeting commentary um, gives people who are at an event where they couldn't necessarily give an audio feed throughout the whole thing, uh, people who are at uh, either organized award shows or even at protests in places where uh, cops will be looking out for cameras, mm -hmm. uh, but not as much for phones. It becomes a unique way to get things out. And I still actually am waiting to see more serious literature uh, being done. It Again, right now, it seems almost silly, uh, uh, almost... Uh, uh, too bold to, to suggest that serious literature could come out of 140 characters at a time, but I sincerely believe it could. Um, Dickens was able to make good things in, in short serial uh, uh, formats. I think we'll get to see someone who will manage to make a story that's interesting as a whole, but also interesting line by line. Because to be honest, most books, you couldn't type them out one sentence at a time and actually maintain people's interest. Mm -hmm. It'll take a very different uh, approach to make that work. One of the things that when people are addressing stuff through Twitter, you don't always know who you're talking to, do you? Right. You, you're not always sure uh, what your audience is. I've had to um, make decisions when my, some of my family was following me on Twitter, whether I was going to use less dirty jokes or make less fun of them. And I decided, no, I'm going to keep making dirty jokes and making fun of them because they decided to follow me. And my grandma, I told my grandmother that I, I said, I just want to warn you, grandma, because she's following me on, on Twitter, that sometimes maybe I might write something that you don't agree with. And she said, okay, that's fine. She was, she was very cool with it. Um, and yeah, there have been people who are really surprised that they get a bunch of followers very early on when Twitter was still very geeky. There was a user named Missy Boo. And she's just a normal person, and she just writes like, hey, what's up, y'all? I'm eating some Doritos, lol. Stuff like that. And it was so funny. And it was always in all caps. And she had the greatest specific uh, typos. For a while, there was a running gag among me and some of the other people who use Twitter constantly for jokes. Um, that we'd say as usually because she had at one point said, you know, I'm bored as usually. And so we would always write out. We just loved it. We thought it sounded so much better than as usual. And we'd come up with the most complex things we could be doing as usually. And it confused uh, the hell of everyone else. No one, no one got what we were saying. Um, and Missy Boo, I don't think, ever understood why all these weird uh, tech nerds were acting, were, were, were acting like she was their god. Uh, it was it was pretty fun.
Uh, it reminds me of a guy from the dawn of uh, Usenet who's named Biff. I don't know if you were around I when Biff I've was around. Yeah, he used to send things in all caps that would annoy people, and he was, you know, deliberately obtuse. So <laughs> now, when you're looking at at this vast volume of tweets mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, you have to make a lot of kind of like quick decisions as to what to write stuff streaming by. You know, you've mm-hmm. only got so much time in the day. You could spend mm-hmm. literally all day, all night sifting through this stuff. Talk about your decision process and how much time do you spend a day on Twitter? Uh, for me, I actually I spend less time on Twitter now and more on these other sites that track these starred tweets. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet... You know, I'm on there uh, a lot. Uh, I'll admit more and more often to check what people are writing about me. It's a horrible, uh, horrible shift that happens. You get enough readers um, responding to things, and you just instantly go to yourself. Like, oh, I don't care what all my uh, all my friends are saying. I want to see what where I'm getting mentioned. And um, when I when I tweet, I, I'm usually just writing off the cuff. Uh, I, a lot of the people I know who are specifically trying to be funny on there, they've even downloaded this app by a friend of mine called Birdhouse. Mm-hmm. And Birdhouse is just notepad for tweets. You write them down to save for later, and then later you can edit them a, a couple of times before you finally send them off. And it seems ludicrous until you realize that they're they're doing this to put out something more than the generic Twitter uh, message. They're putting out something uh, carefully crafted, uh, working out the timing. And uh, I think that's actually really helpful because when you have this many people making jokes, especially about the news, you're going to get a lot of people making the same joke mm, over mm, and over. Amazing. Yeah, I never thought about that. All the time. You're going to get um, dozens of people coming up with the same, even pretty clever jokes. Uh, there was one time when uh, Scott Adams, the author of Dilbert, he's written that he come, came up with this joke about a an imposter opera singer called the Placebo Domingo, wrote up the comic, you know, was going to send it off to his publisher, opened his paper, Family Circus had used that exact joke that he had thought of that day. He was baffled. There was no, it was just such a coincidence that he would happen to think of the same joke. Now you do that with millions of people um, all following the news. Of course, you're going to get the, the same joke. When it really works is when, I, I think this is why Twitter's really good with memes, um, is that if you've got a lot of people making the same kind of joke with a different punchline every time, the way that people are making Kanye jokes, where all you have to do is insert, you know, um, uh, uh, yo, Patrick Swayze, I'm happy for you, I'm going to let you finish, but Michael Jackson was one of the greatest celebrity deaths this year of all time. Uh Things like that. People are able to to do their own Kanye joke all the time. That, I think, is why meme jokes are so popular on Twitter, even more so than on Facebook or blogs or anything, because you do have all these people trying to do witty commentary, and if they're all making exactly the same joke, it gets old extremely fast. If they're all making similar jokes, you can just read that all day. It can become a a thing just to to click on one of the trending topics when it's a, a joke thing. And just read and read and read. Of course, you'll get a lot of repeats, but uh, it's it's very addictive. One of the things that Twitter enables is people who might otherwise go uh, totally unnoticed in life can become celebrities, and celebrities can, in inverse, just get lost in the in the noise. Could you talk about that kind of thing? Oh, completely. My favorite uh, recently is stuff. Uh, it's a uh, uh, S-H-I-T, my dad says. Uh, and 
it's a really, really good uh, account. It's this guy who lives with his dad. He's, I think, 28, and his dad is in his 70s, and says really funny things. He's a, a grumpy old man. Um, says stuff like, no, no, you don't handle the steak. I'll handle the steak. You do whatever it is you do. I guess nothing. All these little grumpy old man sayings. And previously, that would have maybe made a decent blog. It wouldn't have necessarily gotten much attention. It would have looked weird, especially since these really are just one-line quotes. And if he wanted to, say, get a book deal or some other deal uh, for that, it would have been a very hard process um, to convince a publisher that there was a market out there. Well, instead, uh, he goes on Twitter. He's, ha- he's got notebooks of this stuff from years. You know, he's been uh, collecting these things for years. And within a month of starting to write them all out on Twitter, uh, he gets picked up by a friend who writes the fake Michael Bay account, which is just, you know, I exploded my lunch today and uh, stuff like that. I've made a, a, a jet ship plane. It's like a turducken, but it's a jet inside a ship inside a plane. Uh, stuff like that. <laughs> and so Michael Bay promoted this guy's uh, account and got it in front of a couple of thousand followers immediately. And more people, other comedians, uh, bigger and bigger comedians, started noticing it, linking to it. And now he's got uh, tens of thousands of followers and all sorts of agents and editors clamoring after him. As far as I know, I think it's the only... Uh, major book deal from that a major publisher will probably end up uh, carrying. I know my editor had uh, asked if, if, if I could put him in touch um, <laughs> with her. And uh, it's, it's, I think, the first major book deal uh, made from one single Twitter feed. And just several months ago, I would have said, that's people are people are not gonna gonna be into that. That's gonna be so uh, controversial that because there's there's this weird idea that either crowdsourcing a book or, or doing a book where you're writing these short entries instead of something long and one solid prose piece is somehow less legitimate. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's really weirded me out. It's, it's happened less to Twitter, that accusation, than to some other books um, that were a little more, you can come up with a concept and then ask other people to make the jokes for the concept uh, for you, I, whereas I was just uh, reprinting uh, things that I had found and, and combed uh, to find. But I, I definitely see, see this as a completely legitimate uh, form of literature. Uh, a lot of these people who are starting these, these one comedy ideas, this is not like the, it's not like this is the only thing they're ever going to accomplish. It is one good, solid work. And I'm really excited about the Stuff My Dad Says uh, uh, account because it wasn't so much a gimmick so much as it was about a character. It mm-hmm. was character-based, which has always been my favorite type of comedy, something that relies on like the things I like about Fireland is that he's building himself as this character who is so full of himself and ev- all the humor comes out of that not uh, he can he can put in puns he can put in very silly absurd situations but because there's a character at the heart of it that makes it fantastic and that's been my favorite uh, kind of comedy on twitter and a lot of people manage manage to pull that off i i really like accounts like the fake michael bay and like stuff my dad says that are uh 
really glimpses of a character that you're seeing more and more. And so the feed is something in aggregate. If you read tweet after tweet by that one person, you get something that's more than the sum of its parts, even though each of its parts is laugh out loud funny. This strikes me too that there must be a huge variety in terms of tone and content. And could you talk about where you've where things started out being and where you see them trending now? Mm-hmm. Things started out especially just as little observations about daily life. The first stuff that I ever uh, faved on uh, Twitter, when I go back and look at it, is just people observing weird shirts they saw that day or thinking about how weird something they just did is. It's kind of like, I think a lot of us uh, at some point have tried narrating our lives in our head uh, for that little uh, feeling of of importance and grandeur and uh, the the fun of that. Twitter is a lot like that. You Mm. are getting a socially acceptable way to tell everyone the little things going through your head to dictate um, through your day. And there's a lot more going on in most people's heads than we would have thought, I think. I think it's really great, too, that this is all pure language. The the limitations on this are, you know, phenomenal. You can't do very much. You Mm -hmm. can't say very much. But there's so much that's happening. Mm -hmm. Although I've actually also loved when people uh, stretch the limits of what you can do within Mm -hmm. Twitter. There's the the service TwitPic, where you can take a picture and it just posts a link to it on Twitter. So there you have the opportunity to set up a caption before the photo is shown, Mm. because people are reading the tweet and then looking at the picture. Very different way to do your comedy. And it can be great to have a nice big visual punchline right in the middle of, as you say, mostly text of, of Twitter. And of course, people can link to any site they want and, and go through with that, too. There's the uh, the reply to someone else that only becomes funny when you go back and see the tweet that they're replying to. Um, that is definitely evolving. Uh, and like you said, that the different topics being covered uh, by people's humor is evolving. Puns uh, that get more and more complex all the time. References to all sorts of pop culture and uh, high culture. And there's, with the feeling of the throwaway uh, ability of of these tweets, the fact that you can write one that's not perfect and then go ahead and write another one, or you can write one that uh, only one-tenth of your audience gets because they know the obscure song or book that you're referring to or the five different things you're referring to at once, it's okay. It makes for bolder jokes because you don't have to pare down to one big audience that will accept everything. Um, that you throw at them. You can just have an audience that will understand that they might not get one joke, but that they can get the next. And because it's online, of course, people are able to go up, uh, go Wikipedia, some name you dropped. Uh, Merlin Mann, who has the uh, username Hot Dogs Ladies, is really good at doing these. He, he'll name drop some baseball player and a rock star from the 70s, and then Thomas Aquinas and legitimately use all three of those in one tweet uh, to make the joke work. I'll do absurdist uh, things, Dadaist uh, tweets, and then just make simple observations about his loud neighbors upstairs, uh, things like that. And so I'm, I really like the, um, I guess it's a hypertextuality and, and uh, intertextuality that you can, uh, that you can develop. Uh, Mike Montero, who is 
his username is Mike underscore FTW, as in for the win. And he's so <laughs> well known for being a curmudgeon that he ran a week where he just pretended to be really nice. Like that was it. If you just, if you didn't know him and you went in and read his whole feed, you'd just think, this is a kind of boring, smug, nice guy, which is exactly what he wanted to get across. And it was hilarious to all of those of us who know him, who know him, him for being the opposite. And he happened to write something about a, a little dog, that he was buying a little dog and naming it something like Mr. Waffles. And someone started an account for the dog. And the dog took the place of normal Mike Montero and was like, what is this fresh hell I'm in? And would respond to everything Mike was doing uh, from the dog's point of view. And Mike does not know who it was. It was they didn't reveal themselves. And it was hilarious. It was a very unique little uh, kind of joke. It's, I've always liked the fact that you can tell good old standard jokes mm -hmm. and obviously a lot of the uh, jokes in the book by definition have to work somewhat outside of context but there's a special thing you're only going to get from being on Twitter in the moment and that's the in-jokes the constant in-joke ability uh, the number of jokes that I had to leave out of here just because they were about the 2008 election and just wouldn't make sense now or were about specific things and were very funny that day or week or hour that they were published uh, jokes that were only funny if you happened to be watching uh, some award show at the time. Would you ever get it? And just a day later, you would completely forget what they were referring to. That sort of in-the-moment uh, massive in-joke that you don't have to be friends with these people uh, in real life. Uh, you can just enjoy their work and, and enjoy their outlook on things is, I think, uh, a great accomplishment for, for, for mankind, let's say, for mankind. <laughs> This is also a really, I think, unique way to look at the modern world and, mm -hmm. and at, at America, I think, mostly, although we're, Twitter is, is uh, worldwide. Tell us about uh, some of the stuff that comes from outside the USA. There is some great stuff. Uh, actually, one of my favorite users, a couple of my favorite users, uh, Ross Float and Aaron, and they, they are living in uh, Australia and occasionally have that specially turned joke that you can tell you're missing out on because uh, of being an American. Um, of course, it's also nice to wake up in the morning and some people have been writing uh, jokes uh, as you sleep in, mm -hmm. in other countries. Um, I've actually noticed Britain, uh, the British comedians, seem to be extremely uh, active on Twitter. They were the first ones there. Stephen Fry was, for a while, uh, crowned king of Twitter because he was the most followed. No one else had as many followers until some of the you know, A-list uh, American actors like Ashton Kutcher and uh, Jimmy Fallon showed up with their massive uh, audiences. But British authors and comedians, Neil Gaiman, obviously, who's always been... Uh, the first to go to new technologies and any new way to reach his readers and uh, use one-to-many communications because he's so famously um, uh, always so regretful that he can't talk to every journalism student who tries to, to interview him for their uh, school newspaper and, and things like that because he wants to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with each of his readers, it seems, and yet is unfortunately massively popular. And Twitter uh, <laughs> turns out to be a great place for that. Um, uh, I, I guess I've noticed a, a few people in, in different countries. Uh, there's actually, um, I'm trying to remember what country she lives in, but there is uh, an observant Muslim who is 
writing some of the most irreverent jokes you will ever see. And uh, she's just become buddies with this whole group of uh, mostly uh, regular Americans in their, in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, they've, they've befriended a lot of people of, of different walks of life in different areas. Um, hopefully, you know, as technology gets a little more uh, pervasive, in a lot of countries that are, are less, uh, obviously less uh, uh, economically uh, advantageous, uh, third world countries, uh, mm -hmm. obviously developing countries, that we'll see uh, obviously not just comedy, but a lot of different information coming out of there. Um, and, and it has spread to, to a good extent. Obviously we saw in Iran um, that uh, obviously a, a modern but uh, uh, less democratic country that has been able to um, Allow, or citizens have been able to express themselves in a way that they really couldn't to get things out before they can be taken down. It's it's one thing to, to start taking down blog posts, but if people are tweeting from the very event that they're at, uh, you're not really going to prevent the news getting out uh, before millions of people all over have read it. Now, the other thing that Twitter does, too, is to give us unprecedented insight into people's, the most personal details of every buddies' lives, and this often turns out to be humorous. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about, you know, knowing things about people, the, the, the TMI factor here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was, in fact, one instance when Martha Stewart, for example, had written that uh, one of her dogs had passed away. A very, a very sad thing, but her next tweet was, I am serving a nice Chinese dinner for my guests. And a lot of people got a, a perverse sense of satisfaction uh, from this unfortunate uh, juxtaposition. And um, congressmen obviously occasionally make their faux pas on Twitter. Uh, it's great what happens when someone is not standing in front of a crowd and is not quite remembering just how many people are going to see something. Uh, there's obviously such a habit of people to accidentally uh, publicly send a message when they think they're texting or direct messaging someone, so much that a lot of the people that I've followed make jokes about it. They're constantly putting fake, accidental public messages, insulting each other and saying, <laughs> oh, I'll show up at your place at midnight, you know, bring the whipped cream and the inflatable doll, you know, things like that, that people uh, love toying with the actual um, uh, hazards of using the technology. Well, talk about some of those hazards. I mean, you just mentioned a few. What else has happened that has been amusing or maybe not so amusing? Let's see. I'm trying to think of some others. I so I so often follow people who are so savvy that they you know they keep track of things. Um, of course, recently there there was a whole swath of people who appear appeared in Facebook to do to do something like this to accidentally publicly um, post things that they meant to to send to one person. Um, Luckily on Twitter, it's actually a little clearer than on sites like mm -hmm. Facebook who exactly is going to get uh, whatever you send out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've seen on Facebook far worse uh, examples of people, um, even little things like people not knowing that every time you update some slight detail on a party post, it just sends another email out to everyone who's going to it, which if you're throwing an event with a thousand people is kind of a pain. And bigger stuff like people... Um, writing that they had a, a really good time in bed last night and that they'd really like to do that again <laughs> and not realizing that that was a public wall post and not uh, not a direct message um, to someone else. I actually think Twitter has, the user base has slightly matured enough. Um, I actually get a lot of people who don't understand how app messages work. Mm -hmm. So 
I share a first name with uh, one of the Jonas brothers. And the number of people who think that at Nick space Jonas would get to Nick Jonas and not me has meant that every time I go in for a little ego check, see what people have written about me, you know, see, oh, I'm very important and no, everyone thinks I'm Nick Jonas. <laughs> lots of people, lots of teenage girls all writing like, ah, Nick Jonas, what's your favorite talk show? It's really great what they expect Nick Jonas to take time out of his day to write them. I don't, I don't know what they really think is going to happen if they do reach him. Um, but they're not. They're not. They're reaching me, unfortunately. So I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of proposals, and uh, I just, I just quietly let them, uh, ignore them, uh, rather than going and, and breaking their hearts uh, directly. Twitter is, you know, it's a technology, and already you're, you've mentioned that you can link to pictures. Where do you see it going next, and how do you see that affecting the the language? Well, they're they're doing some interesting things right now at mm-hmm. Twitter. Uh, they're using retweeting, something that people did. Uh, there, there are a couple of different ways that people used Twitter that were never officially sanctioned. I'm not really sure where they even started. Hashtags, for one, when people want to tag their uh, tweets. This especially was popular before there was a Twitter search. Um, that there were other programs that would just track anything that began, any word that began with a pound sign. And so you'd add a hashtag uh, if you wanted people to find you when they were searching a lot of people's writing about something. Now, of course, um, it's very easy. I'm about to do an event at a bookstore at Booksmith, and if uh, I want to, uh, people to, to just write about the word Booksmith, I can just put up a page and constantly see what everybody is writing about that event just by searching for it. But hashtags came up unofficially, and, and Twitter never really built them in uh, as a big feature because search kind of took the place of that. Retweeting, however, Twitter has decided that because people so often like something that someone else wrote and retweet it, with uh, usually with the letters RT, then the, the name of the person they're retweeting, and then the thing that that other person wrote. Um, also, unfortunately, since that takes up a few characters to do that, mm-hmm. a lot of people end up looking like they wrote some Rebus style, uh, you know, what up, are you going to the thing? You know, squeezing all their little uh, words down because someone else decided that they wanted to send the message along but didn't have enough space to completely reproduce it. And so you end up sounding like a caveman uh, in front of people who don't know that you normally can talk completely uh, normally on Twitter. Um, But Twitter is deciding to use retweets as an official feature uh, on Twitter. I'm not exactly sure how they're rolling it out yet. And they've also decided, for some reason, to let some people see retweets. They, they, they put it up together in such a complex way that it was confusing whether someone was spamming everyone mm-hmm. or when what really was happening was that their fans, their readers, wanted to pass the things along. This happens a lot with Twitter comedians, that a lot of people who follow them like spreading the jokes along to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some users who don't like that. I, I think it's fantastic. Anything mm-hmm. that you know, gets a, a bigger audience, um, I think, is, is always helpful to the writer. Sure. As long as their name is being used when the thing gets passed along. Obscurity is your only enemy as a exactly, writer. Exactly, exactly. Um, I don't think anyone should have anything to complain about getting uh, uh, retweeted uh, by their fans. Anyway, uh, because of the way that Twitter has uh, executed this, Justine Bateman, the actress, recently blew up, wrote this whole thing 
about how this guy was a dick and this guy was a jerk because they were spamming our feeds so much. She called out specific people, this one comedian and, and this other uh, uh, popular Ooh, user bye. saying like, yeah, you guys are just, oh, why would you do this and spam me all the time? I don't, I don't, I hate you. And they weren't doing that at all, obviously. I mean, it was this, just their users and the way that Twitter had ch chosen to present it confused her. Granted, Justine Bateman has had public um, uh, little rants about things that she didn't quite understand about technology before. Um, she's, I think, like, she's doing what a lot, of, a lot of us have done. When we find some new technology, we go out, we behave badly in it. Uh, that's what I do, did all growing up. I remember getting kicked off of some uh, mailing list because... I was uh, 13, you know, logging into Juno to, uh, to get my uh, email, and I was on some write mailing list for writers, wrote something really offensive, had, you know, a, a preteen tantrum and got kicked off. And the problem with being famous and learning about technology and not in any way having the level of uh, angst and flame wars that some people do uh, when, they, when they come on the internet for the first time, but still, the, these little... Uh, arguments and misunderstandings get really embarrassing because, of course, the gossip blogs, they know how the technology works. They're mm. always going to make you look like an idiot for not knowing. They're really just going to light into you. And that's what's been done to Justine uh, today over Twitter. One of the things that, that uh, interests me, too, uh, uh, about this book and about your work is the, you know, when we... We've talked a little bit about the, the volume of stuff that you go through. Um, could you uh, explain to us, I mean, you know, uh, give us an idea of the, the writing process and the selection process for this book. You know, it's, let me see here, it is how many pages? Oh, you know, about 150 pages of, of, mm -hmm. of tweets. How did you decide, you know, the specific order, the, the you know, the the, which ones you pop out and give single pages? Talk mm -hmm. about that, just the creation of this particular book. Well, at first, there was just the creation of the whole list of tweets that I wanted to use. I combed through over 4,000 tweets that I had faved, uh, combed through several thousand, about that many, again, uh, submitted on the site, and uh, wore that all down to, to a list of, of ones I liked, and then had to, when I liked 10 tweets by one person, had to pare that down. There's certain people who are just always on the mark. And... Um, then, then I, the ordering wasn't actually a very exact process. Mm -hmm. Part of it was that I, I did believe that everything that made it into the book was something that would make someone laugh. There were a lot that I actually wasn't sure about when I was first put in, but uh, a friend, I, I had a couple of friends that I would IM constantly saying, is this funny? And <laughs> I... So you're I, tweeting about your tweet Twitter book. Yes, oh, I, I, have, I had... Um, thanked them in the acknowledgments because I, I swear they probably did as much actual uh, judgment uh, as I did, exercising that over, over the um, actual comedy value. And almost all of the tweets that I wasn't sure about at first, someone has specifically laughed out loud at. And I've been like, what, what, which one was it? And then they, they say it's one that I never would have expected that even that particular person would like. I, it's kind of nice that there is no accounting for taste and that can be a really good thing. That it's possible to put in something that um, has a much wider comedic appeal uh, than I ever thought. Um, I really like that people of all generations, my little sister and my dad both have read through the whole book just laughing out loud the entire time. That really uh, um, was to me a really good sign. I had been so afraid that 
my sense of humor would just be so narrow to the tech-savvy um, Gen Y, Gen X uh, uh, generations. And um, anyway, uh, editing out the book uh, and, and placing different tweets in different places mostly was a matter of making sure that some of my favorites were at the beginning and the end, making sure that almost every page had something that that actually every page had something that I specifically had laughed out loud at several times, you know, and, and would still be funny to me several times going uh, over. Obviously, I like all of the ones in there, but there are those ones that I think are just fantastic uh, standout out tweets. Obviously, I'll never reveal which one uh, on each page, but then putting some on single pages was both, um, it was mostly a matter of how many people would like this joke. Sometimes that's a matter of the person is very famous and therefore there are a lot of people who are going to be appreci appreciate the joke because they like Sarah Silverman. They know they're going to like her comedy. They like Michael, Michael Ian Black and so they know they're going to like this joke. Um, Ashton Kutcher's uh, tweet in there is, I wish customs agents would stop punking me, which is great because, of course, it's Ashton Kutcher. And so some of those are ones that I wanted to highlight, and they were also fun to see illustrated when I found out that they were going to, um, that HarperCollins would specially design those pages uh, to slightly look like what they were describing, which is a, a really tricky thing to pull off. I remember mm -hmm. uh, being a kid and trying to desktop publish things in, in MS Publisher and going overboard on making the joke physically look like what it was about. Um, it's, I really think they, they made a great balance of getting the tone of different things without, uh, without overdoing uh, the shapes or anything. I, I talked to the designer, and she said that um, there was one page where she had considered making an entire tweet look like a turkey and just decided that it was a little, it was too far. It was too much to do. Um, so that, that factored into it. And also, of course, some of the jokes that I thought were just so amazing uh, in their own context, or on their, on their own, um, devoid of context, that they deserved some special uh, placement. I've been speaking with Nick Douglas. His new book is a Twitter wit. Thank you for joining me, Nick. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.